Welcome to the Light Reading Podcast. I'm Phil Harvey. I'm an editor here at Light Reading. I'm Kelsey Zeiser. I'm also an editor at Light Reading. And I'm Alan Bresnik. I'm also an editor at Light Reading and also on the research side at Heavy Reading. And I'm Tom Litkowski, Vice President of Accessibility at Comcast and not an editor at Light Reading. (laughs) Thank you for clearing that up. (laughs) Tom, welcome to the podcast. Thanks for uh, joining us. Thanks for having me. The pleasure's all ours. And for folks who are scratching their head and going, that name sounds familiar. If you were an attendee at the uh, Cable Next Gen Technologies and Strategies two-day digital conference back in uh, late April, you might have listened to Tom present at that event. He's joining us now because we wanted to have a similar themed but slightly longer conversation about accessibility. So I'll open up the questioning. We'll start with maybe Alan or Kelsey, and then I'll chime in and follow up as needed. Tom, we didn't really get to do you justice at the event because of some technical snafus two weeks ago. So we wanted to have you back to talk a little bit more about the accessibility work that you're doing with the lab at Comcast. But I thought first we could talk about how you got into this line of work to begin with. What got you interested in working on accessibility? I kind of fell into it, to be honest with you, Alan. I started out as a career in radio, went to Boston College and majored in communications and ended up at WGBH, the public broadcaster in Boston. And I was trying to get a radio job there and and someone said, hey, you should go check out this new department that they created called Descriptive Video Service. Uh, Descriptive Video Service inserts audio, uh, creates audio description, which is uh, extra narration that that describes the key visual elements of a program and that narration is inserted into the natural pauses of program dialogue. So I'm like, hey, that's pretty cool. Uh, somebody who's blind, I hadn't really heard about description before. So let me go check it out. And um, I did. And turns out that the current executive director was uh, an alumni of Boston College. So what started out as a 30-minute informational interview ended up being an hour conversation. And that was the beginning of my accessibility career. And from there, I worked on some R&D work at WGBH, actually authored a, a set of guidelines under a federal Department of Education grant around making set-top boxes accessible. Who knew that many years later, I'd actually be responsible to make a set-top box accessible and have to follow the own, my own guidelines that, that we created. Spent 10 years at AOL, and thankfully Comcast wanted to create a Office of Accessibility in June of 2012 and tapped me to do it. And it's been a wild ride ever since and loving every minute of it. Wow. So, and you've created, since you've been at Comcast, you've created a bunch of award-winning projects. Uh, why don't you tell us a little bit about the voice guidance of Xfinity X1 and some of the other, and the adaptive remote and some of the other things you've come up with. Sure. Well, it's a team effort. I certainly uh, don't know how to code these things, so couldn't do it without a great team of designers and product managers and engineers and PR folks uh, and everybody else. So it, it does take a village. So in 2014, we launched the industry's first accessible set-top box experience for people who are blind or visually impaired on our X1 platform. And we called that uh, service Voice Guidance. And essentially, voice guidance is, think about it as a screen reader inside of a box, even though it's up in the cloud because X1 is is all cloud-based, as you know. Uh, Essentially, when you enable voice guidance, uh, you can say voice command into the X1 voice remote, say voice guidance, and you'll get a pop up on your screen and your TV will start speaking to you. Or you can press the B key on your remote twice. That's an example of uh, inclusive design. We can talk about that in a moment. But voice guidance, once it's enabled, uh, essentially reads all of the UI elements as you navigate with the remote control using the D-pad. Now, for the first time, 
someone who was blind or visually impaired could uh, navigate TV listings. They could schedule and playback DVR recordings, navigate on-demand content, control settings like parental controls and other settings that that people you know just take for granted that they can interact with every day. So it really brought the entertainment experience to life for people who are visually impaired or blind, who up until then, all they could really do or all we could really do was use channel up and channel down to surf through linear programming and, and on demand and the DVR were, were completely inaccessible at that point. So really excited about that, got some great feedback. And then certainly the voice remote came out. We contributed to that effort didn't necessarily lead it. But now you could really start to see that total conversation with your entertainment experience. You're voicing in commands. And then if you had voice guidance on because you couldn't see the screen, we were reading out the results of your of your voice search. You could really see voice in, voice out in action. 2019, we launched the X1 Adaptive Remote, which is essentially a web-based experience targeting people with physical disabilities primarily, although it's available, of course, to anyone. And the, the cool thing about the Adaptive Remote is that, again, it leverages the cloud. And so we don't have to install any software or anything like that. You just have a web browser. And the user can go to xfin, xfin.com tv slash access, sign in. And if they are an X1 or Flex customer, put in their account credentials, tell us what box they want to control, bedroom, family room, basement, whatever it is, they're off and running. And so think of it as a digital rendering of the remote control. And so who's using it? Well, people for whom voice isn't an option. We've we got to think that voice is a one, was, isn't a one-size-fits-all solution for everybody. So if you have Lou Gehrig's disease, ALS, for example, you might not be able to speak. You won't necessarily be able to hold a remote control. Maybe all you have is eye movement. Essentially, what the adaptive remote allows us to do is meet the customer where they are with the technology they have and are bringing to our doorstep every day. And so in this case, they loaded up the xfin.tv slash access remote in their web browser. It's how they navigate anyway with eye tracking software and hardware. Toby Dynavox make this technology among other vendors and their eyes become the mouse. And so it's all about dwell time. They can gaze on the Xfinity button, on the guide button, on a channel button, even on a voice button for those who could speak, they can operate their, their TV. It, it made Time's top 100 inventions of 2019 in the accessibility category. That's remarkable. It's pretty interesting too, because I, I would think that you said it in a more genteel way, <laughs> but I would think that when certain communities, you know, when companies start addressing their needs so directly and giving them such path to accessibility like that didn't previously exist, it seems like that would get around really quickly. You know, suddenly it would go from being a one-off project to something that's actually very, very good for the business. Absolutely. And there's research data that shows, and I'll probably get the figures wrong, so don't hold me to the exact numbers, but somewhere in the 60 to 70% range of people interviewed say that they will support products from a business that is inclusive of people with disabilities. When you think about the disability market, we're not just thinking about me as a blind user or somebody as a deaf or hard of hearing or user with a physical disability. Think about the extended family and friends who are not necessarily direct users of the accessibility feature, but are going to support and be loyal to a company that makes my experience more inclusive. And then you think about how accessibility can benefit the mainstream audience. We always talk about you know when you build an inclusive product, you end up building a better product for everyone. 
How many of us use closed captioning? If you're watching a British show like my wife uh, <laughs> tends to do, <laughs> can't understand those accents, but she can turn on the captions. <laughs> yeah, I'm like, what does fab mean again? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> or braille? <laughs> yeah, I use, that's a great point. I definitely use the caption all the time. There was this one movie with Joaquin Phoenix where... <laughs> Just, I could not understand him the whole time. And so I was like, I don't know how anyone got through this movie without subtitles. It's always something that on the weekends, she, you know, she'll be like, geez, these, these captions are, are off. I'm like, I'm off the clock, honey. I can't you know, <laughs> give you a little break. That's That's awesome. funny. It is kind of funny if you, I also uh, studied Spanish. So sometimes I'll watch a, a Spanish film and they'll have automatically have the subtitles. And I always have to laugh when it's not exactly right. <laughs> like, actually, that was like a way worse curse word than what they translated it to or something. So, oh, that's funny. That's yeah. always fun. <laughs> But I digress. <laughs> Tom, how many more people does this do these accessibility features allow you to reach? Uh, data shows us that at least one third of U.S. households has at least one member with a disability. So you know you're close to twenty percent or higher of of Americans have at least one disability. Other data shows us that the disability community, when you take a, an aggregate discretionary spending income, is in the ballpark with the African American and Latinx communities. So it's hard for people to kind of get their their arms around that because the disability community doesn't speak with one collective voice. My needs as a blind person are very different than somebody who's on the autism spectrum right. versus yeah. somebody with a physical disability. So you can't say, well, I'm going to go market to the disability community and we're going to catch this 20%. And so that's what makes this a little bit more challenging. We know that close to 2 million set-top boxes in our X1 environment have at least one accessibility feature enabled. And as we spoke earlier, the likelihood is the lion's share of that is, well, it's not likelihood, I do know, the lion's share of those activations are closed captions. So that's an example. You think about accessibility as when what we're doing is the electronic curb cut. How many of us use the the wheelchair ramps at street crossings? Oh, right. Um, yeah. They certainly weren't invented for us, that there was to allow people in wheelchairs to cross the street safely, but everybody's using them. Automatic doors at a, at a grocery store or anywhere else for that matter, you know, you're carrying a whole bunch of stuff. Automatic doors make things easier, um, especially in this you know touchless, contactless world we find ourselves in today. So there's a lot of parallels that you can see in the physical world, digital world. Voice got its start by trying to enable people with physical disabilities to interact with computers. And now we're talking to everything under the sun. You know, so much so that when I go past somebody, sometimes they start talking to them. I don't even know if they're talking to me or not. I can't see them. <laughs> can't see what they're doing, so they must think I'm a nut. <laughs> if, they're, if they're yelling at you to stop their podcast, that's probably not you. <laughs> <laughs> Just not this podcast. Yeah, yeah. I really think so. Siri has has a, a chip on her shoulder for me in particular. But everybody else in my house seems to get along with her great. But for whatever reason, when she hears my voice, she's just like, "Oh, brother, him again." Does she turn to like disgruntled? Mode? Yeah, yeah. She, she, she's kind of very curt. Her responses aren't nearly as flowery and human like. They're more just like, "Let's just get this over with, pal." You know that kind of thing. I'm not angry. I'm just disappointed. That's right. <laughs> Is that because you kicked her at the very beginning when you're trying oh. to get it over? No, I just, it, it takes me, it, I, I forget that my HomePod gets so much dust on it. And so I, maybe I don't give it the attention it needs. And so I think she's holding a grudge. Plus I never say please or thank you. I just tell her what to do and then let it be that. <laughs> Everybody else in my house is kind of polite about it. 
It's okay. I yell at Alexa a lot to tell her to turn <laughs> off the timer because she never hears me the first time. I'm like, Alexa, stop. <laughs> <laughs> well, Tom, that brings up kind of brings us around to what's your opinion of how the world has changed in the last, especially 18 months where this stuff really started taking over the home. Because now, you know, especially in my house where we do whatever Apple tells us to do, it actually makes it easier over time the more devices you have, you know, connected to home. HomePod or Intercom or or any of the Siri type services. The plus side of that is, you know, you can operate a lot more devices, do a lot more things. The downside of it is obviously they're doing this for commercial gain as opposed to directly trying to help people who who need it. Do you have an opinion on how this stuff's evolving one way or the other? We're definitely living in a good time for this. You know, accessibility really is becoming more mainstream. If you want to be a serious media and technology company today, accessibility really is a business and technical imperative. Apple views accessibility as a civil right. Certainly, I don't want to speak for them at a corporate level, but Tim Cook has said that publicly, and I happen to know their accessibility folks. And the accessibility community amongst all the companies is very collegial. Charter has a group, Cox has a group, all of the other major companies you might think of, Microsoft, Google, Apple, Amazon, Netflix, Disney+, Plus. you know, all of these different companies. And I'm going to get into trouble because I didn't name somebody, so forgive me. We're living in an age of really where this is going to take off. And we're kind of at that tipping point. You know, voice is certainly part of it. It's a lot of concern in the industry, the accessibility industry that, you know, AI might be underserving people with disabilities because it's not programmed by people with disabilities. So interesting things like that, but opportunities abound. And I think it's really for us to kind of put it together. And and the pandemic itself, I think, has really shed some light on stuff that people with disabilities deal with every day. I mean, how many times are you squinting at the squares on the screen? Squares or rectangles? I don't know. I'm a blind guy. What do I, what shape? It doesn't matter to me. I just, I know people say, I can't see this or I can't see that, or the slides are too small or this or that. I'm like, hey, welcome to my world. People are starting to identify themselves as they speak. I mean, that's what we like to do in person in a room. So I think the pandemic has really opened up our eyes and ears to opportunities, but but also challenges. And, you know, so as we move back into this, you know, new normal, let's hope that some of what we've learned in the virtual world sticks and we and we carry it forward. But, but I think um, while there's still a lot of work to do and you can easily lock somebody out of an experience without making your mobile app accessible or your set-top box experience accessible, there's a, a lot more focus on it now than, you know, there was even five, six years ago. If there's anything else that you're working on in the Comcast Accessibility Lab now that you can share, and also just in general, your thoughts on how the industry at large can do a better job in terms of accessibility. Boy, that's a tough question. How much time do we have? Um, (laughs) We could could fill up the internet. (laughs) Yeah, we could fill up the internet. Uh, In the fourth quarter, we're going to launch a new large button remote control and everybody that I've shown it to who doesn't have arthritis or a dexterity challenge or a visual impairment says, how can I get one? You know, there's a trend in the industry to move towards smaller remotes, but then when people see this remote, they, they all of a sudden want it. So that, that's one. On some of our select boxes, we launched a feature in our Comcast lab section in the menu structure under settings called dynamic audio, where for people with PTSD, for example, you know, spikes in audio could really be a problem. And so this kind of normalizes the spikes and then enhances the 
the softer moments of audio, the, the dialogue. And so that's another one, playing around with Bluetooth. And we want to look at how can we use Bluetooth more productively, not only for audio and sending, say, like the uh, SAP stream, the secondary audio stream, like audio description or Spanish over to a Bluetooth headset while you have your normal Atmos or 5.1 or just audio format going through the, the main AV system. So you're not, you know, if you're talking about mixed households, kind of having that personalized viewing ex audio experience. Bluetooth hearing aids. You know, I know my dad, you know, cranks the TV up to 11 and, and <laughs> plus. Um, and it's loud. Um, but if he had a Bluetooth hearing aid and was using, um, you know, one of our, our boxes, you know, he could pair that up and then we could all peacefully watch the show together. <laughs> Not sensing so, any bitterness there at all. <laughs> no, no, no bitterness here. Um, <laughs> and I know he's not tech savvy, so I don't have to worry about him listening to the podcast and, you know, cutting me out of the inheritance or something like that. But uh, so I think those are the those are the types of things that we that we're thinking about. Of course, AI really bullish on the smart home. We believe that smart home technology can further empower people around the house and and in many different ways. A lot of interest in looking at, at some of that uh, in, in this year and, and beyond. Haptics is another one that we're talking about. So we talk about not one size fits all, but so you have an audio presence, a visual presence, you know, kind of what's that tactile presence, you know, the haptics piece of it. So we're starting to dive into that and understand where we might be able to use that more effectively, not only in our set-top box environment, but in our mobile apps. And so uh, a lot more to a lot more to come, but uh, as I said, there's there's more to look at than than we you know have the bandwidth to to do all at once. Well, we'll uh, have to catch up with you at a later date and maybe get not just an update, but find out how things are progressing, and then maybe even talk about specific you know industry developments and stuff like that. And I'll I'll work on no promises, but I'll work on repairing my relationship with Siri, and we'll see <laughs> see how we go from there. Yeah, I want to update on that yeah. next time. Yeah, we it's, it's, I'll try not to yell at Alexa. That's right. <laughs> <laughs> and we'll put and we'll Put this on a videotape and send it to your father. <laughs> oh, there you go. Yeah, that's right. No. <laughs> Thanks. Fantastic. Fantastic. So, that, so I won't be here next time. I was going to say, that's the last time Tom was going. Yeah, right. <laughs> We've heard from Tom again. Uh, Tom Lutkowski, thanks so much for uh, joining the Light Reading Podcast. I appreciate it. Thanks for having me. It was enjoyable. See you later. Mm -hmm.